And you know, our theme for this fall is to ask the question, what did you just pray? And we're focusing on the Lord's Prayer because we all acknowledge that, that something that we memorize and we say with regularity has a tendency sometimes to, to lose its meaning because it's just uh, something that's repeated by rote. And, and, and we need to spend a few moments reminding ourselves that we're not just a bunch of robots repeating some words that we know as part of a tradition, but we are following Jesus' instruction to us. Because as we said last week, the Lord's Prayer came about when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And he gave us this model. And we have this opportunity to think about what it means to understand who God is in the context of this prayer that Jesus has given us. And, and as we said last week, it comes first and foremost in a relationship paradigm. We are, we're supposed to understand ourselves as God's children. He is our Father. Our responsibility is to live in obedience while He provides, protects, corrects, challenges, and leads. So after addressing God as our Father, the next thing we acknowledge is God's essential nature. We say, hallowed be thy name. And in the Bible, there's this huge significance surrounding the Lord's name. And we must never underestimate it. You know, it, it's so important, this business about God's name, that it is the third of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And of course, as believers in Jesus, that sense of significance is continued with the name of of Christ as well. Jesus told us we should pray in his name. As a matter of fact, John chapters 14 through 16 record the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples on the night before he went to the cross. And if you read through those chapters, you discover that five times during that one evening, he paused and instructed his disciples about prayer. And every time he said the same thing, ask in my name. Peter understood the importance of Jesus' name. In Acts chapter 4, he said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Paul got it too. He described how it's going to be at the very last day. In Philippians chapter 2, he wrote, Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It sounds to me like how you use the Lord's name is a big deal. And the importance of treating the Lord's name with reverence, sadly, is something that's greatly neglected in today's world and sometimes often among Christians. 
And, and, and Jesus wanted to remind us that how we use our, our language matters. How you treat the name of the Lord matters. And it's our responsibility to treat that name with respect. You know, how you use any name indicates how you feel about that person. I mean, you can tell the way someone says a name. You can tell whether it's been said in contempt or whether it's held in honor or whether it's just said whatever, right? So there are some people who call me Paul. There are some people who are not very happy with me who say Paul. There's one girl in this world who looks lovingly into my eyes and says, Paul. <laughs> How you treat a name really matters. And if you don't think that it has spiritual significance, even for people who aren't believers, you are missing reality. Because especially the name of Jesus is so significant that in sort of a backwards way, it has become really significant in our world. Do you realize there is no other name from all of human history that is acknowledged by most people in the world as a curse word? No other name except Jesus Christ. When people get angry or frustrated, they don't say Julius Caesar or Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> it's the only name that has become an expletive. And that's because in this backwards sort of way, people, even people who aren't believers, understand the power of the name. While we're on this subject, let me suggest that blithely saying, oh my God, which has become a common expression even for many Christians, is not a healthy way for us to honor the Lord. Because we need to be reminded of this reality that, that how we speak about God reflects how we honor Him. And if we use His name in ways that are unimportant, not even necessarily as a curse word, but in ways that are unimportant, uh, we miss the significance of the name. This is such a big deal that it made the Ten Commandments. A and sometimes we just take it too lightly because a name represents personhood. And, and, and if, if if anybody knows me and, and you mention my name, it conjures up an impression in their minds. And how you speak about me either reinforces or changes their impression. The same is true for the Lord. The mere mention of his name elicits a response. Uh, there are some people who think about being judged. Others, about feeling loved. But whatever, when you speak the name of the Lord, there is very rarely ambivalence. 
Because talking about Jesus and talking about God elicits a response, even among people who say they don't care. You know, they say you shouldn't talk about religion and politics because it's so divisive. If, if you're talking about your Lord, how you use his name indicates what you think about him and how you feel about him. And Jesus said, when you pray, you should say, hallowed be thy name. Or a more contemporary word is holy. That's what hallowed means. Hallowed is a, is a word from the, from the 16th century. And in more modern versions, it's holy. And that speaks about the essential nature of God. He is holy. So this morning, we want to consider the question, what does Jesus intend for us to understand about the holiness of God? And, and the word holy really has two dimensions. One is something that is set apart for a specific purpose. And the other is this sort of understanding of morally pure or, or perfect. So let's think about those two definitions. It, holy means to be set apart. And if you read through the book of Leviticus, for instance, in the Old Testament, where they're describing all of the instruments that are supposed to be used in the temple, it says every one of them is holy. That means it was set apart for a specific purpose to be used for that purpose alone. So if you found a bowl in the temple and you took it home and you filled it with your frosted flakes, it was desecrating that holy object because it was... Did, did Tony the Tiger exist back in the Old Testament days? He's been around forever. Anyway, it, it, you get the illustration. If that's, what he di if that's what you did, you took something that was holy and you used it for common use and you desecrated it. It was to be set apart. So when we think about the fact that God is holy... There's this reminder that he is set apart. I mentioned last week that as the creator of the universe, he is above and beyond his creation. We're dependent on this world for survival. But because he has made it, he can break into it at any time he desires. He can break into time and space and intervene whenever he chooses. We have all sorts of track for a plastic train set in our basement. And the, our grandkids, one of the fun things they've been doing recently is go down there and try to create as big a village as they can with that track. And there are intersections and there's tunnels and, and they do all of those kinds of things. And when they build it, they're not a part of the world they create. And they can reach down into it and alter it whenever they choose. Changing where a track goes or picking up a train and, and placing it somewhere else. That's kind of a crude illustration of how God is with his creation. He's not a part of it, but whenever he chooses, he can interact and intervene in it. 
And so when you say that God is holy, you are affirming the fact that he is set apart. He is the creator and sovereign of the universe. He is not like us. And, and there's also this other definition for the word holy. And in that context, holy means pure. God is absolutely perfect. He never fails to exercise love and grace. He is morally pure. There is no sin in him. You know, it's hard for us to even conceive that reality because we're all such a bundle of mixed motivations and, and we realize that, that we do good, but there, there's this evil that's a part of us, what the Bible calls our, our sinful nature. And we always have this potential to be selfish and manipulative. And even when we are doing good, none of us are probably doing it with absolute perfection. But that's not the case for the Lord. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes him in Romans chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You know, when you, when you say the Lord is holy, you are affirming that he is above and beyond. That he is perfect in his character and his love. And frankly, that's a little bit intimidating to think about the fact that God is absolutely perfect and he knows everything about your life. It's a bit scary. And the writers of the Bible reflect that. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet was given this vision of what heaven is like. Listen to how he described it and pay particular attention to his response to this vision of God. He wrote, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Now, notice in that scripture, when Isaiah was confronted with the Lord's holiness, all he could think about was how unholy he was. And he's not alone. 
It's a theme that goes throughout all of Scripture. You might remember the story of, of Peter as Jesus came along the Sea of Galilee and asked to borrow his boat so that he could stand in it and teach the people. And when the crowds were gone, he told people, Peter to go out in his boat a little ways and let down his nets. And at first, Peter was reluctant because he'd been fishing unsuccessfully all day. But finally, he said, Lord, because you say so, I, I will go. And when he did, the catch was so large that he had to call his friends, James and John, and their boats to fill all of the fish and bring them back to shore. And when he got there, he suddenly realized that he was dealing with God who had broken into his universe. And he said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You know, when Isaiah and Peter and so many others in the Bible came face to face with the holiness of God, they recognized immediately their own inadequacy, how unholy they were. And the Bible is full of people who felt woefully inadequate in the presence of the Lord. So if you start thinking about God's holiness and that's your reaction, you're in really good company. However, observe that recognizing the holiness of God is just a starting point. He doesn't want you just standing in awe of who he is. He doesn't want you to be paralyzed by his holiness. He's actually given us a challenge. He wants us to respond to that challenge in amazing ways. And it's found from Moses in the Old Testament to the books of Peter in the New. And it's simply this. The Lord says, be holy because I am holy. Or as Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 6, he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What could the Lord possibly mean by that? That God is holy, he is completely other, he is set apart, and he is absolutely perfect and pure in every way. What does that mean for us? Well, let's put it in the context of those two definitions. First, the Lord calls you to be set apart. I guess the best word for us in contemporary English is he wants you to be consecrated. He wants you to commit your life to serving him, that that is your primary responsibility and, and anything else pollutes your life. The Bible reminds us over and over again that your speech and your attitudes and your body and even how you use your money reflects your commitment to the Lord. And when you commit your life to Christ, you are set apart to serve him in his word, in his world. Paul put it in rather stark terms in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He wrote, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
Paul's very simply saying, you are set apart for God. So how you live matters. And if you're a believer in Christ, you need to be asking yourself again and again, have I, have I consecrated my life to the Lord? And if I've done that, what does it mean in terms of how I live from day to day? So being holy starts with being consecrated, being set apart. But, but the Lord also calls us to the other definition of holiness. He calls us to be pure. And some of you are saying, oh, wait a minute, Paul. That's impossible. None of us can have a perfectly pure life. We can never be holy like God is holy. However, when you say that, you're dismissing this challenge that God gives throughout the Bible when he says he wants us to be holy because he is holy. So what does he mean by that? First of all, remember that you need to understand purity from God's standpoint, not from yours. From God's standpoint, purity is not about performance. It's about this relationship that he calls us to live with him because God sees you in this moment. It's not about what you did. It's about who you are that matters. You know, I often have conversation when I'm talking with teenagers. I remind them that, that purity is not the same as virginity. Uh, you can have blown it in the past and still be pure before the Lord. And that's because his forgiveness is complete. It's based on this moment. As I quoted in Psalm 103 a few weeks ago, when the Lord forgives, he puts our sin as far as the east is from the west. And so the, the purity of your life is based on the forgiving power of God in you. You are bound to fall short of the Lord's absolute perfection. You do that with every breath you take. But if you are forgiven from God's perspective, you are pure in his sight. And here's the really amazing thing. The, the Lord has built an ongoing purification system for you. Perhaps it's best described in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that reads like this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That verse describes a cyclical process. As you keep walking with the Lord, he keeps cleansing your life, keeps that forgiveness train rolling in your heart and you remain pure before him. Not because you're perfect, but because you are forgiven. Perhaps the best illustration of how this process works in terms of our human bodies is our eyes. Do your eyes get dirty? Well, you get dirt in them 
but your eyes never stay dirty because God has created this constant cleansing process for your eyes. No matter how dirty the rest of you get, your eyes stay clean. And, and it's not because you're never in dirt. Rather, it's because those tears that God has created make an ongoing cleansing system. So like this coal miner, you can still see the whites of his eyes, right? Because God has created them to remain consistently clean. You know, that's what God wants to do in your life. So when he says, be holy because I am holy, he's asking you to consecrate yourself to him, to live for him. And as you do that, he will keep your heart and your life clean. You know, one of the sad things is that Satan wants to pile on in those moments when you have blown it. And he wants to tell you that you are not clean, that you are unworthy. And if he can get you defeated, he wins. And we have to understand God's call in our lives and, and how amazing it is for us to be able to have these lives that are consecrated to the Lord and remain clean, not because of who we are, but because of what he's done in us and through us. And so every time you say, hallowed be your name, you are proclaiming the Lord's holiness. You are revering the name. And at the same time, you're accepting his big challenge in your life. He says, be holy because I am holy. Will you pray with me, please? Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be reminded of this huge principle throughout all of the Bible about holiness. It's about who you are and we proclaim that today. But it's also about who you've called us to be. And I know that Satan wants to introduce all kinds of excuses to us about why we fall so short. But Lord, you, you come along and, and you want us to be forgiven and live forgiven. Help us to live that out, we pray. And go with us now as we put your word into application in your world. As always, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, and welcome to the official first episode of the Grace Point Podcast. Um, I've got a special guest. It's kind of weird to call him a guest at Grace Point Church, but we've got Pastor Paul with us today. Pastor Paul, thank you for coming on with me. Thank you, Zach. Um, so I wanted to touch on a few things about the sermon before from today before we go on and get to know you, because that's going to be the name of this season of the podcast. I uh, want to get to know people better, let the listeners know more about everybody in the church, and we'll see what happens with that. I think it'll be a really neat thing, but I, I really, really like this series, and it's kind of hard to explain why, but I remember one time I was saying the Our Father, and I remember thinking, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just saying this thing that i have been taught for years and years like and just kind of lost the meaning of it because I was just going through the motions and it was probably about a year ago I had that thought and then I just started breaking down each part of the prayer as I was saying it and so that's why I really like this because now we're even expanding on it more than just the own thoughts I had about it. Sure it helps give some meaning to what we say by rote and that's such an important thing for us to do because even when you say, I love you, you know, you can say that so tritely without thinking through exactly what that means when you express that kind of sentiment to oh, someone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how many times have you done it on the phone with your wife when it's just, all right, love you, bye. <laughs> you oh, uh, yeah, maybe you. I've never, <laughs> I've never done that myself. Yeah. Um, I liked also when we were going through this, when you're talking about the significance of the Lord's name, and it goes without saying, just like you have in here, and it's the third commandment, but taking the Lord's name in vain, you kind of said today, like, you know, the bad ones, you know, the ones that add in curse words, but just like saying JC, when something's aggravating you, you know, we were talking to my son about that on the way home. And he was like, we were, <laughs> it was kind of hard for him to understand. I was like, you're not supposed to say Jesus Christ when you're angry or when you're surprised by something like and he goes, well, what, what's wrong with just saying his name? <laughs> like, he yeah. didn't quite get it. But Well, that's because it's uh, taking the name in vain. And that really means taking something holy and making it common. Yeah. And so when we say the name of the Lord in some ordinary way, rather than as a way of worshiping and honoring him, that's exactly what that commandment's about. And I think we, we've become very lax about that here in the 21st century, oh, even among Christians. Yeah, absolutely. I, that, and I think you see it so much on television that it just becomes second nature when kids aren't learning what they're supposed to from church and from the Bible. And so I think it just, it's like that. You know, they hear it on the school bus, they hear it on TV, and it's just second nature to say it. They don't even really realize they're saying it. Yeah, I actually have some discussion with my wife about this every once in a while because you know, there are dirty words, and we all know what they are. Correct, yeah. And uh, that's become so prevalent in the media, on television, that kind of thing. Um, and that's what bothers her the most. What bothers me the most is when I hear somebody take the name of the Lord in vain. That's yeah. so huge for me. Absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. I, I really liked, as you were doing that, I was writing down some side notes here just because Again, I, I, I really like this series. I'm excited to see where else it goes from here. How, how many weeks do you plan on doing this series? When does this one uh, go to? This one will go all the way through the end of October. End of October. Okay, great. And uh, now is it going to be 
exclusively on the Our Father. Right. It's all about the Lord's Prayer, phrase by phrase, just reminding ourselves what we are saying when we say those words together. Absolutely. Well, I like that a lot because, like I said, I've had that thought um, when I'm just doing my own prayers in my own time. I kind of, I haven't been, well, it's not that I haven't been doing my prayers. I haven't been doing my morning routine that I was doing where I was going to the Y and my time in the morning when I would either be in the hot tub or working out or in the, what do they call that thing, the sauna. The sauna was like my favorite part where I was doing my prayers. We actually, when we were on the men's retreat, uh, for, or not men's retreat, but the men's fishing trip, um, Neil gave out these books. Um, I believe it's called Winning Your Spiritual Battles, and that was one I took with me and was reading there, and that, that was excellent. But, yeah, I like I said, I, I broke those down, and I just like how much more you broke it down for me and for everyone here. I, I'm really excited to see how the rest of this series goes. I'm enjoying it a lot, and it's, a, it's like I said, it's such a good thing for us to go past just our spiritual routines and think about, why we do what we do, why we say what we say, and how we honor the Lord with our language, with our thought patterns, all of that kind of thing. Absolutely, and I liked here towards the end when you said the Lord calls you to be pure and you were explaining like, well, what, what do you mean? I'm supposed to be perfect? I, I, I can't be perfect. You're the only perfect one. And just realizing that his forgiveness can bring you purity to where you're like you said, with teenagers, they think it's virginity. And just because you've messed up doesn't mean you can't be forgiven and be renewed. And I think that's an important message for a lot of kids to hear, honestly. I, I remember you say it quite often. Um, you have to correct the phrase, but essentially, when you're a teenager or any age before you're married, how sex just disrupts your life and yeah well it's entirely true my kids can tell you and almost every kid here in the church can tell you my mantra which is pretty simple uh keep your keep your pants zipped it uncomplicates your That's life it. yes yes and it's uh it's so important for us to understand that i was talking with our our 22 year old son just the the other day and he was citing chapter and verse of so many uh, people that he went to high school who really complicated their lives here over the last little bit. They've had children out of wedlock. Some of them um, are trying to figure out what that looks like. Some of them are already married and divorced, and uh, it just complicates your life. And, and God's plan is not to take our fun away. Right. It's to bring us long-term joy, and sometimes we, f we forget that because we want immediate happiness. Instant gratification. You bet. <laughs> I feel like that's a, a, a term that you could really just explain these times with, period, is instant gratification. But I, as you were saying that, it took me back to last week's message. And what I liked is as you were saying how they've messed up their lives and they, they've made some mistakes and they're trying to figure out what to do. Well, you said it last week, you know. I guess I looked at it more of a terms as when you were explaining it, I think of social media and that's what people will turn to when they're going through rough times, not realizing that's honestly probably the worst thing you could do <laughs> at, at that time is try to try to compare yourself to other people. Instead, yeah, you, you need you to find say that as you're creating a podcast. For social <laughs> right. Media. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. At least we have we have a little bit better uh, intentions. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I, I look at that because there is plenty of times that I'll see things posted when I had social media and, you know, quotes and stuff like that. And then I just see things people are saying and the direction things are going. And I truly believe if they came to church and they experienced what we did when we first came here, their lives would change immediately. 
Well, it's a difference between focusing on what's wrong with life, and there's so much in social media that tries to pile on when people get angry, and then you come along and say, yes, me too, me too, and we have to get past that. We have to live in joy, you know, like it says in Philippians chapter 4, whatever's good, whatever's lovely, whatever's right, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Right. And that's such huge, good advice for all of us. I totally agree, honestly. It's just keeping a positive mindset like that, period, because you're right, you can, there's, there is a lot of bad things going on in the world right now, but if you sit and dwell on them all day long, I mean, you're you're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to be in a vicious circle. And it keeps you angry and frustrated. And ultimately, Satan wins in your life when he keeps you there because you're missing out on all the joy and the good things. And, and what's really amazing to me is how many people on social media get offended for other people. Yes. <laughs> and they don't have they don't have any stake in the game. No. They just they've they've conditioned themselves to be offended all the time. Yes, absolutely. You can see that nonstop. I feel like that's been something more recent over the past couple years. Uh, before it was well actually I, I don't think I actually have told you the entire story of how we ended up here. So we I grew up in the Catholic Church and went to Catholic school until I was in like seventh grade and then went to Colonel Crawford and still went. And then when we got married, it, we kind of stopped going. And I don't want to say we lost our faith, but we just we weren't active in it. And when my wife was pregnant with Emery, we were having some complications. You know, I've told you about going to Pittsburgh you and bet. the surgery and everything else. And she said to herself, you know, she had a feeling that something was going to go wrong, but she knew she just could not handle it if it did. So she is the one that really started get back, getting back into finding us a church. And kind of, she had looked a couple, and they just weren't a fit. And then, honestly, and it's, I'm just being honest, it sounds terrible when I say it, but it was a Sunday, and she wanted to come here, and we had tried out a couple. And at that point in my head, I was just like, it's just not going to work. It's not going to happen. And I was kind of dreading it. And then she thought the service was at 9.30 for some reason. And we showed up here. And, again, it sounds terrible to say it. I'm like, I lucked out. Now we don't have to go. And then she goes, no, there's one at 10.30. I'm like, oh, man. So we went and did some running. We came back. But I can honestly say when we left that day like that, on the conversation on the way home was that was amazing. Like, I, I like this. Let's, let's come back next week. And it's been history ever since. We've loved, loved coming here. That's amazing, and kudos to Rochelle, of course, because, you know, a lot of people make promises, especially when they're in the middle of difficult circumstances, and then forget completely about them. Right. But yeah. she's one of those people who said, um, God's done this for me. Now it's my turn exactly. to give to the Lord. Right? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I'm incredibly thankful for it because it really was life-changing the first sermon when we were here. You know, I've told you about how I collect records, and I found our first sermon. We came here and cut it up for a record for Christmas, and I don't know. It's been very, very special. Everybody's been welcoming here. Um, even just the people I've talked to about this podcast, like, they've been super supportive. Uh, Nate, lovely. I sent him, like, the clip that I sent you right before I posted it, and he immediately was like, that's awesome. Hey, you want me to come on? Let me know. And I'm like, awesome. And then today at church, uh, 
the Frank houses were sitting in front of us, and I just briefly mentioned, yeah, oh, she said something about Open Gym. I said, yeah, I got to come a little bit before for the podcast, and she was like, the podcast? And I explained it, and she was like, wow, that's awesome. And then Scott Tienemeyer told him, and he seemed like he'd be interested to come on. So I'm really excited to, A, get to know people. Like, I, I've got a good idea, and, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people here, but to get more involved and know their life story, uh, you know, just like I shared how you ended up here. I'm really excited to do that. And I'm excited for everybody here to hear it. Now that's so much fun too, because once you know somebody's story, it's a much deeper connection than you previously had. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so on that, like I said, this season is going to be getting to know you. So Let's start with your early life. Obviously, you know, I know where you grew up, but let's, uh, and most people probably do, but for those who don't know, give us uh, your early life and uh, how you became a pastor and how you got here. Yeah, so actually, I am a pastor's son. Um, I'm one of four boys. Okay. I'm the only preacher in the bunch. Okay. Uh, so it's not like it was a family business. Or right. something. <laughs> yeah. there's, this, there's this matter of calling that is so important as a part of that. So uh, my dad moved from place to place. So I was born in Urbana, Ohio. Okay. Uh, Lived for about uh, five years in Toledo, uh, for another five years in inner city Cleveland. Oh, jeez. And then moved to a little town in Amish country, uh, Sugar Creek, which is such (laughs) an amazing little place. Now it's a big tourist attraction. It is. When I was a kid, it was just a sleepy little town. Yeah. Full of Amish people. So it was uh, a culture shock moving from inner city Cleveland, <laughs> um, just about a mile from downtown, out into the country with Amish folks everywhere. But that was a, a great experience. So I went through all of junior high and high school in Sugar Creek. Uh, the school system there is Garraway. And so. It was a huge opportunity to go to a smaller school and get engaged in life, and it was a, a, a great blessing for, for our family. As a matter of fact, it's kind of funny how we got there. Uh, one of our bishops was visiting with my parents there in Cleveland. Things were going very well at that church, but he looked around at the neighborhood, and he said to my dad, John, I am not going to let you raise your boys in this environment. Next summer, you are moving. And so that's how we got from inner city Cleveland down to a country town in Sugar Creek. Wow, that's amazing. So it's kind of a kind of a great opportunity to to grow up, um, committed my life to the Lord just before um, my high school days. Okay. Um, And so I was uh, I was a pretty disgusting little middle schooler (laughs) like so many of them are. That'll Uh, happen. Developed my own little potty mouth and all those kinds of things and. Uh, had a had a moment at church camp where uh, the Lord basically said to me, you know, I've never heard the Lord in my ears, but I have had uh, a handful of moments when I was sure God was talking to me oh, yeah. on the inside. Uh, and he basically said, Paul, it's time for you to decide whether you're going to get in or get out. And I committed my life to the Lord that day. It was July 3rd, 1972. Oh, wow. Okay. Had my own spiritual birthday. Yeah, Not I everybody guess so. has that. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's pretty a, impressive. It's a really cool thing to be able to, to know the, the date and the place where you made that real big commitment to the Lord. Absolutely. So changed uh, changed everything. I mean, I got back to school the, 
the next fall and people were saying, you know, why are you different? You know, why aren't you saying those things, doing those things? And, and so that was a, a really cool thing to be able to, to live that out through my high school years. Yeah. Uh, my original intention was to be a surgeon. I have a, an uncle who's a hotshot doctor out in Denver. He said, get decent grades. I'll get you into medical school. Okay. And so I thought cutting people for a living sounded like fun to me. Yeah. <laughs> but so at, it was actually just, uh, just before my college days that I felt like the Lord was calling me into ministry, which was a huge blessing for me because then I was able to uh, change my whole educational trajectory and go through college and seminary all straight through. So um, college was uh, three or four years, and then seminary was three. And my wife and I met in college, turned into one of those campus couples in a little college, got married a month after we graduated. Oh, and wow. She helped put me through seminary, and we started life together. That's so awesome. I went to Toledo, suburban Toledo, to Holland um, for one year, basically serving as an intern and being a youth pastor. Okay. And then uh, just a few months into my time there, our conference superintendent, who is the one who oversees all of the churches in Ohio, came into my office and said, you're going to Galleon next year. Okay. And so that was... A little over 40 years ago now. Wow. I've just, just finished 40 years pastoring. So when I arrived in Galleon, I was wiping brown hair out of my eyes. <laughs> yeah, not it's, so been, a, it's much, been a while. Not so much the case <laughs> yeah. now because I am definitely follically challenged at this point. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not quite to your age yet, but uh, I'm, I'm feeling those effects <laughs> as well. So, Yeah, I got here to this church and... It was a sea of gray hair. Yeah. Almost everybody was a senior citizen. I'm a, I'm a kid preacher. They just weren't quite sure what to do with me. I had an unholy thought. My very first day I stepped on the platform, I looked out at the sea of gray, and the first thing I thought was, I'm going to bury a lot of you people <laughs> oh, before geez. I get out of here. <laughs> and, in fact, I did 24 funerals out of, this, out of the church when it was quite small. Oh, wow. 24 funerals in my first two years. Oh, so um, I started burying people right away, yeah. as a matter of fact. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's one a month. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so now, you know, we have this l much larger family-oriented church, and I do far fewer funerals today <laughs> than yeah. I did back then. It's very interesting. Well, I think it's good, too. I mean, you know, we touched on it earlier with, you know, because I would say it's more my age group that's into that social media and following stuff. One day at work, my boss and I were talking, and she was saying how, and she's, uh, well, I mean, she's retires next month, um, so in her 60s, and she's had her and her husband are the youngest ones at their at their church uh, in the New Washington area, and I told her I'm like that's actually pretty far from the truth with our church. Like you know, there's a lot of people my age here or slightly older than me, but there's a pretty wide age group now in this church to, to where it's not just a bunch of gray hair or no hair, like you said. Right. So that's a blessing that we have all generations, and you know we have kids and babies coming all the time and. Lots of great ministries for, for children and for teenagers and uh, just so thankful for the way 
this congregation has come together and, and helped that develop over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So you said when you got to, when you got here and you got into Galleon, first of all, when you came to Galleon, was, was it your first time in Galleon? When you, like when you came here for the first time knowing you were going to be here, was that your first time in Galleon? Yeah, actually, I had made a couple of visits here okay. um, before just because of our denominational connections. Okay. Uh, so, but those were mostly in my childhood. Okay. And it just so happened that my brother uh, found a job after he graduated from college teaching at Northmore. Oh, okay. And there so uh, that was a connection. Yeah. I got a chance to, to move into town where he was already living. Yeah, which well, was, that works uh, out perfect. Pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. Okay. So, when after you first got here and you you saw the sea of gray and you know you're having all these funerals when did it like you had that unholy thought when did it click and eventually everything just seemed smoother for you when you got in yeah so cheryl and i my wife we we prayed a lot for what we called critical mass we were just working very hard at trying to get a handful of families to come and to stick at the same time because, you know, we'd have families come and they'd like the church, but there wasn't enough other children for us to have a really strong ministry for kids and teenagers. And so they would go someplace else and look for that. Okay. And, and so for really about six or eight years, oh, wow. our, our prayer was to have that critical mass that would stick when we'd have a group of families be able to stay at the same time because we knew that'd be the foundation for where God wanted to take us in ministry. Okay, awesome. So it's pretty much been history ever since that? I mean, everybody... Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Uh, ups and downs, of course. So yeah. we had... Um, we had a little bit of a crisis because during those years, as our kids emerged into school, we used all of their activities and all the relational webs that we made with families here in town to sort of build the church and felt really good about that until our kids grew up really fast yeah. and they were gone. And we're looking around thinking, well, now we don't have those webs anymore. Right. Uh, and what what does that mean for the life of the church? And of course, by then there were enough other people who had those webs that the that the the DNA of the church continued to grow. So that was around um, the late 90s, early 2000s when uh, we began to see that uh, it wasn't what we were doing. It was the life of the church had taken off and it, it, it uh, created its 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 own momentum. So that was great. Yeah, I, I honestly agree with that. Like, I think this place especially um – the connection groups are one thing, you know, the Bible studies, but just the events and fun stuff we do. Like I brought up the fishing trip. I told my wife when I was driving home that day, I'm like, that's the most fun I've had in a long time. Like sitting around that group of guys, uh, that was the first time I'd ever been on a fishing charter. You know, I've just been kind of a, I have fished on a boat, but mainly a land fisherman. And I was kind of like, man, seven hours on a boat. I'm <laughs> I was a little bit nervous going out there that I might get a little queasy or something, but it, it, it didn't feel like seven hours. It went that quick, but I was having conversations with great people the whole time. The night before when we were camping, great conversations, um, a lot of good testimonials sure. that night as well. And 
that was really when I developed a lot of relationships with guys in the church, you know, started becoming friends and getting phone numbers and texting with these guys regularly. Um, and, uh, it really was kind of a life changing thing. Like I was already, already had like a foundation that we were building here. But once I got there around a good group of guys, then I, I realized like, okay, yeah, these guys are my friends now essentially. And my wife kind of felt the same way because she did the women's Bible study last year. She brought our neighbor and same thing. She made connections. And I, I just really, it's a big part of why I want to do this. Cause I love this community that we have in this church and I want to continue to build on it and get to know these people better and let everyone else know them better as well. So you've sort of described a strategy. There are a lot of churches that are, are program centered and we want to be more of an event centered kind of, of, um, scenario for the entire church. So yeah. That's uh, that's the way we are strategizing in terms of how we think the best way to build. And by program-centered, I mean the same things happen every week. Yep. Uh, and that was a great strategy 50 years ago. Right. People are so busy today that it's very difficult to create a program-based atmosphere. Uh, and it, it sort of keeps you uh, smaller because there's only a few people who are able to live at that level of time commitment and right so uh, we are adjusting our strategy and you know s to be honest that's that's difficult when when we made some of those strategic changes about a dozen years ago now uh, 15 years ago we actually lost almost a third of our church really because uh, people were so used to the way things used to be that when Routine. we started to change and and have a different focus and program for what we call soccer families so that that's where we're thinking about what our programming should look like it's not that we ignore senior citizens we're going to be having an event for them here in right, a couple yeah, of weeks absolutely but it's uh that's where our emphasis lies that's where we think in terms of programming and there were some people who didn't understand that and and felt left out so it's been interesting to see how God has taken us through that dip, and we have grown way past where we were at that point in terms of uh, who we are as a congregation, and God's given us a nice big batch of senior citizens, and so we have all of those generations represented. It's a big blessing. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there is something for everyone. Like you said, you've got the uh, senior potluck coming up. You know, there's plenty of adult things that my wife and I do and then I, what I really admire is the stuff for the kids like the work hard play hard over the summer I I really really enjoyed that like I saw these kids work hard firsthand when we were working on those houses and then to see the pictures of the fun they were having together you know you see you see a group of kids that age most of the time what are they doing they're looking down playing on a phone but these kids were out doing something fun, bowling. Um, I, I can't remember all the things, swimming, multiple things. Uh, alt is that, that's what's called, altitude. right? Altitude. Yeah. yeah. It, it just, it, it's really cool to see them, A, learning hard work, and then B, the payoff and seeing kids be kids instead of just having their nose in a phone or a tablet or something like that. Uh, so we have the 30-hour famine coming up at Thanksgiving time, and that is always amazing to me because – the kids have nothing to eat. They only have fruit juice available to them yeah. for a 30-hour period, and they are doing community service. And it is always fun for me to watch kids invite their friends 
and basically say, come and starve with me for 30 <laughs> hours. <laughs> right, yeah. We're going to have a really good time. And then, of course, that supports feeding the world. And uh, they learn so much about how blessed we are here in America and how large the need still is that there are uh, almost a billion people on our planet who live on a dollar a day. It's yeah. almost impossible to oh, yeah. conceive what that's like. Yeah, that's it's insane. Uh, yeah, and, and to go upon that, that's not just the, the hard work they're learning, but they're seeing that and they're getting their own sympathy and empathy at a young age for people in those situations. That's right, because we, we want to grow world Christians, uh, people who are committed to the Lord, committed to building strong families, making a difference in their community, but understanding that God calls us to make a difference in his world. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, before we start wrapping things up, I had told you earlier, I had said uh, one thing I want to make a staple in this podcast is I wanted to ask each guest that I have on here either a piece of advice that they've been given or they have given. So you could give me both if you want. You could, t you could, the, the floor is yours. Oh, please let me give advice. That's <laughs> one of my favorite things to do. I I'll tell you the best piece of advice I ever got from my dad. My dad spoke very little uh, in terms of advice into my life, uh, but I was dating a girl that he was not sure was uh, good for me, had the kind of, uh, emotional and spiritual depth that was necessary. And he said to me, just remember, sooner or later, you have to talk to her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I have never forgotten that because that is reality. Uh, it's not just the physical part of yeah. life. There's something way beyond yep, that. Got to be having that I've conversation. Never forgotten that. So that's the best piece of advice I ever got from my dad. Um, my favorite piece of advice that I tell people often, if you've been around church, you've, you've heard me repeat it, and that's uh, don't sweat the small stuff. And number two is it's all small stuff. Yeah. And I, I call my most valued possessions junk. Yeah. And it's a reminder for me that they, they really don't matter from eternity's perspective. Very true. And I get I get in trouble with that every once in a while because I slip and call other people's most valued <laughs> possessions <laughs> junk. What do you mean? And they get a little bit offended by that. And then I have to pull out Philippians chapter three that the Apostle Paul reminds us there that compared to knowing Christ, everything else in this world is garbage. So I have people roll their eyes when I quote scripture to back up that little statement. But. <laughs> It happens with some frequency, for sure. That's awesome. I like that a lot. Um, I'm, I'm assuming what you referenced earlier about uh, it complicating your life was probably your best advice you gave your children. But if maybe if there was another one you want to add as a parent. Yeah, as a as a parent, uh, one of the things that I do in addition to speaking often about how important sexual integrity is, because. It does change the trajectory of, of your life dramatically and can compromise it in not only physical ways, but certainly in emotional ways. I also, uh, I've had a list for my kids uh, where I've said, I'll know you're grown up when. Okay. And uh, one of my favorites on that list is, I'll know you're grown up when you can be right and be quiet about it. Okay. Because there's so many people in this world who are 
always out to prove a point. Yeah. And uh, the Lord wants us to have this sense of confidence that we know in ourselves that we're right. And we don't have to debate everybody about it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, what? I like that. And I've actually I've, I've meant to ask you this question before um, in sermons in the past and actually pretty frequently. You've said, um, for lack of better terms, you know, it's kind of our duty to as Christians to re- not recruit, but we're supposed to share the word of the Lord with as much people, as many people as we can. But I guess my question is, w- what if someone is just, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. W- what, what do you do in that situation? Yeah. So one of the things that we have to know is that uh, Jesus did not coerce people to follow him. Okay. Matter of fact, one of the great stories in the Bible is in John chapter six, after the feeding of the 5,000, I mean, there were literally thousands of people who were following Jesus they came the next day and said feed us again yeah and that's where Jesus said I don't think you get why I did that (laughs) right I am the bread of life and you know all of that kind of thing and it says at the end of John chapter 6 that that the crowds just turned and walked away Mm -hmm. and one of the amazing things about Jesus he, he never said well let's talk or can we make a deal or you know, let's let's think about this more. When people left, Jesus let them go. Okay. And and we need to be able to do the same thing. But uh, still love them at the same time. Right, right. So uh, that's the whole m- issue of grace. Grace is about loving people always, but we don't give them a pass. We also want to hold them accountable. And we also want to respect people always right so as i love to say you can believe what you believe without apology and still love people our world tries to tell us that if you don't endorse what somebody says or thinks or believes about themselves then that means you don't care about them and that's a that's a complete misunderstanding of what love is like especially the way jesus loved people because he would at one of the same time create the conditions to save, for instance, the woman in adultery in uh, the Gospel of John, and then turn around and tell her, go and sin no more, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, he would hold people accountable, but at the same time, uh, he would show great love for them. That's awesome. That was a great answer. I've been meaning to ask you that for a while, honestly. And Uh, It's attributed to St. Augustine, um, but... uh, I'm not sure that he actually said it, but the quote it goes like this. Uh, Share the gospel always. Use words when necessary. Okay. And it's important for us to understand that the most persuasive thing we'll ever do is live our lives of faith, especially in difficult circumstances, because people are always watching. That's awesome. I, I, again, I thank you for answering all the questions, and I... I really appreciate you coming on here and honestly i just appreciate you having enough trust in me to kind of man this ship that we're doing here um i I really really am truly grateful for this opportunity and hopefully next time you come on i'm a little bit better at it as (laughs) i I think you're amazing (laughs) and one of the things we want to do in the life of the church we want this to be a permission giving place so when the lord is saying i'd like you to do this and people say, I want to do it. 
we want to give permission for that to happen. Absolutely. Now, when somebody comes to me and says, I think the church should do this, I always remind them that they're the church. Right. Yeah, so if God's laying point. this on your heart, then it's your responsibility to initiate it. Yeah. So if you'd come to me and say, said, Paul, we need a podcast. Why don't you do it? It would have gone nowhere. Right. Yeah. But you came and said, this is what God's laying on my heart. Yeah. I'd like to do this stamp of approval. Yeah. Right? And I really appreciate it. I mean, you were you were right on as soon as I told you. I think I think your exact words. I like the way your brain's thinking because when, <laughs> when I first called you about it. I mean, that was probably probably three, four five months ago when I first approached you about it. And then there were some things that I wanted to get in line for myself. And honestly, a part of it was I was a little bit nervous, too. Um you know, like I said the other day when I was up here with John just recording that little 30-second trailer, you know, palms are sweaty, and I'm just like, it, it's kind of a ripping a Band-Aid uh, feeling off because, you know, I'm nervous about people hearing my voice, and I don't necessarily like hearing my own voice either. Yeah, but, but Zach, you have that you have that smooth radio <laughs> voice, so well, thank it's you. all good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I do have somewhat of a background, not in radio or anything. I used to DJ weddings. That was, so uh, there you go. That was... Uh, that was when I did it. And actually, a funny story before we go on. Uh, when I was DJing a wedding one time, it was a Catholic wedding, and the priest, after the wedding, something come up, and at the reception, he couldn't come there. And so I didn't know that yet, and in my, my events, it's time for the prayer before dinner. And so I'm running around, running around, and I find the mother of the bride, and I'm like, hey, it's, it's time for the prayer. And she's like, oh, you just do it. What? <laughs> so I... It was probably the worst prayer I've ever done. Super fast, you know. I'm blessed the Lord in these. I guess like I am like this doing the grace, and I'm like, oh man, I really messed this up. But swear, she came up to me at the end of the wedding, tipped me extra, and said, "That was great. Thank you so much for doing that." And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I didn't think that it went well at all. But funny, I I rarely get tips for, <laughs> yeah, for praying. So yeah. that's a great, great story. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> That was the one and only time I ever had to do it. That was uh, that was the most on the spot I ever was with it. The biggest flub I ever had with a wedding was as I was introducing a bride and groom. I, so we were a company at the time, and I hadn't met with this specific couple. And as I was introducing, I mispronounced their last name as I'm introducing them for the first time as a married couple. That was uh, that was a a big mistake on mine. So I'm going to try not to make that happen on this podcast. Well, you you do it long enough, and you will make plenty of mistakes. My worst wedding blunder was in my own daughter's wedding. Okay, and I didn't even realize what I had said. I just finished giving them the charge, and of course, you know this was big emotional time everybody in the place is crying and because i you know just talked about handing her off to my son-in-law you know all those kinds of things and it was an emotionally charged moment and we were going into the vows and i said uh elizabeth do you have mark to be your wedded wife <laughs> and i didn't realize what i'd said because i'm just doing just the along, vows yeah. just doing what i do and she looked at me and said, no, I don't. <laughs> Wait, what? And then I was completely confused. The whole place goes from tears to laughing <gasps> uproariously. And I'm completely lost. I look down at my wife and she's shaking her head. And, <laughs> and so it took me a while to figure out what was going on. And 
and recover. So she said, I always wanted to have a great funny memory from my wedding. So thanks for getting it done. That's my worst wedding <laughs> blender ever. <laughs> thanks, <so>. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I think that's a good way uh, to almost wrap up. Um, I got your words of advice, um, but since I have you on specifically, and like I said on the teaser, but I'll say it again, these episodes are going to come out Wednesday mornings to kind of split up our week because we have a great experience at church on Sunday, but there's also some times where I think to myself as I'm leaving, I'm like, we've got a whole nother week. So we're going to do it. Split up the week on Wednesday. So how about um, a middle-of-the-week prayer to get us to the end and to the weekend? <laughs> I'd love to do that. Lord, I'm just so thankful for the fact that you are the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you hold all of them in your hands. And we can celebrate the blessings of the past. We can live in forgiveness for the blunders of the past. We can meet with you today and know your presence and we can trust that no matter what happens in the future, you're already there and you're going to walk through that with us. So I want to thank you for that. Here we are in the middle of the week and we can be reminded that you are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. We love you for that. And we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much again for coming on as the first guest on the first real episode. I hope it's not the last time. I'm really excited about this. I, I think we'll see you again. Yeah, I <laughs> hope so. And I'm honored. Thanks for letting me be part of this. Session. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, that's going to be a wrap on the very first episode. Um, if you're just searching this, try to find the Galleon Grace Point Church uh, podcast on anything. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google I, I pretty much got it out there everywhere. Um, I believe we're going to have probably a sign-up sheet and an announcement for if people want to come on to the podcast, they can sign up. I'll get your number. Be a little bit patient with me because I'll probably be recording one a week. So if I don't reach out to you in the first couple weeks, I, it, it'll come down the road. But again, I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you enjoy this. I'll see you all next weekend. And I'm really looking forward to the feedback. And... Thank you again. And that's a wrap on the first episode. Goodbye.